If basketball is your favorite sport and you like the way they dribble up and down the court, then you are not going to want to miss Dan Exer's Layups for Life 3-on-3 basketball tournament at Roxbury High School in New Jersey on April 10th. This event raises money for clinical trial research at Sloan Kettering, which is where Dan received his cancer treatments. Register or donate to this event at layupsforlife.org. That's layups, as in multiple layups, the number four, and then life.org. In this episode, you will hear about Dan's tale of perseverance and how the Layups for Life basketball tournament came to life. Without further ado, meet Dan Exter. This is Kevin Som, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. All right, so this week on Heads and Tails, I'm interviewing Dan Exter. He's uh, the founder of Layups for Life, which is a three-on-three basketball tournament that raises uh, money for Sloan Kettering. Um, and the inspiration behind this was because he's a cancer survivor himself and benefited from being at that hospital. Um, so, Dan, can you just kind of talk about your experience in battling cancer? Like, what was your symptoms? How did you know that, you know, something was kind of off? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was really weird. I mean, I was a healthy guy, non-smoker. Uh, my girlfriend and I were training for 5Ks. I played in basketball leagues throughout Hudson County. Pretty much top sh- top shape and great health. Right. Really no symptoms. Um, the one thing that was just so weird was I was having the shortness of breath while working out or just even when doing non-strenuous activities. I couldn't take a full satisfi- satisfying right, breath. Right, right. And it was just really bizarre, and it bothered me, and it bothered me. So I went to see a, a lung specialist, and he's running all kinds of tests. You know, you ever see the Gatorade commercials where they put things on your right, mouth? The mask, and yeah, the, yeah, tubes coming out everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. So we're doing these tests, and nothing is showing up out of my lungs. So I'd seen him about maybe two, three times, and he's saying he's got nothing to, to be concerned about. So there was a lab underneath his office in the city, and he said, let's just go get some lab work done. Let's, let's see. That'll tell a better story. So that was earlier in the week. And actually, no, that was on a Friday, I believe. And then I get a call on Saturday morning, and you know how they say a doctor's only going to call you back if there's a situation or an emergency? Yeah, this can't be good. Right. Saturday morning, I wake up, there's voicemails, missed calls, all from a number that's not in my phone. So what were you thinking when that happened? I No idea. I Concerned, obviously. I I said someone's trying to reach out to me. Someone's trying to get in touch with me. I listened to the voicemail on my phone, and it's my, my pulmonology doctor who said that, you know, Dan, we got your results. They came back. And they're not good. He said that your platelets are way down and your white blood count is way up. So pretty much what that meant was with my white blood count being up, uh, my body was fighting some kind of an infection, right. right? With my platelets being so down, like if I went out to the gym or if I went to go play hoops and I got hit, there was a risk I could bleed internally and God forbid die. Oh, geez. So he said, the only place you need to be right now is a hospital. Okay. So he that was all the detail he went into. Um, we drove into the city, drove into New York and you know, what's running through my mind is obviously the worst. Like what could this be? What's going on? What's happening? So we took more blood work at the hospital and it came back with positive for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is known as ALL. Very, it was completely out of left field. Obviously everyone was stunned and shocked. Right. So like what were your thoughts, feelings, and emotions when you got that diagnosis? Dumbfounded, disbelief, you know, that was the last thing I ever thought would be what that diagnosis was going to be told to me. Um, you know, you find out you have a blood cancer, you know, uh, 
you start thinking how or why. You know, my parents were in there. My my mother's like, did I not feed him enough vegetables? Like, what did I do wrong? She's blaming herself. Blaming yeah. herself. And, and the doctors, I mean, what was bizarre is that ALL is found in young children, right? Because it's a, it's a cancer of the bone marrow. Okay. So the reason why my body was producing all these white blood cells, it was these immature, useless white blood cells, which is what that cancer is. It's, it's a malproduction of your white blood cells, which stem from your bone marrow. Right. So it was just really, in essence, uh, a bad luck of the draw, I guess you would say. Yeah, because how old were you when this happened? Twenty-seven. Right. So that wouldn't you wouldn't think that you know that you're not a little kid. Obviously, yeah. So yeah, it was it was very. That's what made it rare, right? Was right. that this cancer that's usually found in pediatrics was found in a, an adult? That right. was what made it very amongst a few other things. That's what made it odd and rare. Right. So what's the prog- what was the prognosis after you got the diagnosis? So the prognosis was that this was a cancer that they had dealt with before, that they had a, a call of action, so to say. They had a, a plan. They had a, 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 an idea of what to do. Not an idea, but they had a confident um, structure and a, and, a, and a book to go to, a plan to go to in beating this. And what made this whole thing even more rare was it was ALL with AML um, – uh, symptoms, meaning I had something called a Philadelphia chromosome, which is a genetic mutation that's typically found in AML patients. But my doctor didn't want to call me an AML patient because it was ALL with these AML tendencies, which was the Philadelphia chromosome. Okay. So what that meant was I would be in need of a bone marrow transplant, which just which just thickened the plot of the whole situation. Right. So yeah, it makes it more complicated. Um, so can you kind of talk about the treatments that you went through sure. and then some of the obstacles that you, you came across? So with the bone marrow transplant, the first things that doctors have to do is they check your, your siblings, right? Because they go to your siblings to see if they can be a potential match for your transplant. So I had one brother and one sibling, so the odds of him being a perfect match was 25%. And if he wasn't a match... I'd have to go on a national donor list, meaning my match can come from across the country. You know, there were donors that were coming from, I was hearing stories of, uh, of a donor from Italy, from Spain, from all over the place that was in this registry uh, that, would, that were other people's donors. So obviously you're crossing your fingers and hoping to make the process go A, faster and B, smoother. Right. You're crossing your fingers that it's my brother. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, yeah, that process is probably even more stressful. Exactly, right. So... Are you going to find a match? When would you find the match? You know, it just kind of delays everything. Right. Because in addition to that, I was going to get the gamut. I was going to get the full body radiation. I was getting chemotherapy because the idea was to bring my body's immune system pretty much all the way down to nothing to then with the bone marrow transplant to pretty much shock my body and reboot my whole system. Like almost being reborn pretty much. Can you explain like how the bone marrow transplant happens? Like I have no idea what that that means. And then will it kind of explain like what that does to build up your immune system? Sure. So pretty much um, it ended up being where I got very lucky, right? When my brother went to go get tested to see if he would be a match, uh, you know, 25% chance of that happening. Because if he wasn't a match, I'd have to resort to someone on a national donor list, which would only delay or make this whole process so much longer. Um, I got very lucky because it ended up being that my brother ended up being my match. So that certainly helped speed along the process in, in this whole, you know, in this whole situation. Right, instead of searching the globe for... One person who might yeah might be a match. So he knowing that we knew where he lived and where he was, right. it made things. I'll find you. Yeah. <laughs> so it made things much easier. And again, my chances of that happening were twenty five percent. And for not, it to not be not great odds, right? not great odds. No. Well, that's one in four. You know, so for that to happen, 
I got very lucky. Nice. So pretty much the process was it wasn't an exact bone marrow transplant where back in the day used to be a needle in your back. Now it's called the T-cell depleted stem cell transplant, right? So what they had to do is with my brother being a match, they had to remove the T-cells from his blood in this process. They had to go two times. He had to give about 5 million cells. And in this process, a machine took the blood out of his arm, removed the T-cells, and then returned what it didn't need. Okay. So it was a very interesting process. He had to be there for about two days worth of, of, don- of donating. But, um, put a lot of you know, work in put there, a lot yeah. of work in. So that, that was the whole process with that. Awesome. Um, can you talk about some of your lowest points during your treatment and what kind of like setbacks you, you had? So the lowest point for me definitely was, you know, as I mentioned before, they, they're pretty much hitting the reset button on you, right? right. And during that time, you're pretty much in, in, in isolation, you know, you can't have really any visitors. If people come in and visit. make you sick. Exactly. Yeah. You're almost treated as like a newborn baby, right? So, you you know, if people come in, they have to wear masks and gloves and gowns. And it's a whole ordeal every time someone wanted to come into your room. But there was a period of time where I couldn't have any kind of guests. Because, right. God forbid, something got in the air or I caught something. With having zero immune system, that could that's be like big fatal. trouble. Fatal. Yeah. Fatal. Big trouble. So, you know, that time of isolation was certainly the hardest and the toughest. So, In what ways specifically? Just because you miss simple human interaction. Just right. having someone to talk to or someone to lean on, someone to, you know, vent to, you know. just so to you have, say that no one could come see you, like your parents couldn't come no in? One, like, no, no one. No one. Just, just my doctors and my nurses, and that was it. And they had to come in with, like, hazmat suits on? Pretty much, Yeah. Yeah, you think I, I was I was you know a nuclear reactor went off in my room. Yeah, mine wasn't quite as serious, but I had a, uh, an infection for my surgery. Okay, and I was on like in, intense IV antibiotics. Yeah. and stuff like that. And people had to, I was in quarantine, so people couldn't come in. And this is like around Christmas. I was 17 at the time, so right. it wasn't like you know. I think Santa still is out there, I guess. But uh, <laughs> like Santa, I was in pediatrics, so Santa right. would like come around with all the little elves, like bringing the stocking for the kids in the hospital. Right. And he couldn't come in, so he just like waved to the window. I was like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> you know, you take you take the humor and funny yeah. in, in, in situations like that. Yeah. You know, but uh, but at least my parents were they were allowed to come into the room, yeah. and they just had to like wear these like suits. Or like these little mat, like smock type things. Yeah, I guess. it's it's hard, you know, especially in a time where you you want some support right, and you exactly, need it the yeah. most. It's it, it it was definitely difficult. All right, so what were sort of your coping strategies when that happened? And like on this podcast, a lot of people are, I mean, a lot of the listeners are people who kind of you know are in that transition to life after sports, or they have an injury and they yeah. feel kind of separated from society i guess or from their teammates or stuff like that so what were some of your coping strategies when you felt that loneliness well you have a lot of time to be with you you yourself and i right Right. me myself and i and and, you know it's funny because it was at that moment where you know i have a pen and a paper and i start jotting down ideas of things that i want to do and that's how this whole layups for life thing kind of came about i said you know when i get out of here i kind of had a serious conversation with myself where you know if if this doesn't work out what have i done Right. You know, what What do I leave behind? Wait, you mean if Layups for Life doesn't no, work No, if out? I don't make it. Oh, if if don't I don't make it. Make okay, it, yeah, what's your legacy What is my be, legacy? Right? Yeah, Thank you. people are going to remember me. Exactly. Yeah. How, if I don't make it out of here, right, what's my legacy? Right. How do I, what have I left behind? And that's where the idea for Layups for Life kind of started coming to fruition. I started writing down ideas and, and, and 
putting down notes and my connections and people that I knew who could help me. You know, what can I do? You know, of course I wanted to give back and I wanted to do something to help the community if I made it out. Right. Be an inspiration. You know, tell people that cancer maybe isn't always a death sentence. Right. You know, and that I'm living proof of that. And there's other people that are proof of that. So really having that time was really a time to think. Right. Have a serious conversation with yourself. The what ifs. You know, the what what is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And then just kind of, you know, hoping and being optimistic and trying to keep the glass half full as much as possible. How did you keep the glass half full? You know, um, were you scared? Of course. Yeah. Scared, terrified. Right. I don't want to die 27. Yeah. So, yeah. and how old are you now? 30. So this was three years ago. That yeah. This, this happened. All right. So that's actually not too long. No, ago, right? it's, yeah. it's still fresh. You, you know, still think about it all the time. Does it, does it make you nervous still? Or? No, it just, you know, just, I think of how lucky I am. Right. You know, it didn't have to go as smoothly. There was something you, I think you asked, you know, what are some of the things I was worried about? There's something called uh, GVH, graft-first-host disease, which is a very common uh, side effect during a transfusion like that. Okay. And if something like that happens, you know, it could really cause a delay in your recovery. But I got very lucky and never really had the didn't GVH. Happen, yeah. I had, you know, other things that, uh, you know, discomfort, to, uh, you know, in other places. But, you know, to avoid that bullet was... You know, two for two and being lucky again. Having right. the brother be my, my donor and then not having a major side effect like that. Uh, you know, lucky guy. I knocked wood a lot. Yeah. All right, awesome. So let's kind of talk about your recovery after this isolation period and your immune system started to get a little better. Like, And talk about how your family and your friends and your girlfriend kind of helped you along through this process. Cause sure. Just based off of some of the other interviews that I've done on this podcast, having a support system has been almost – Something that everyone that I've interviewed has relied on at some point yeah. uh, in their ops or when they were overcoming their obstacles. So I just kind of want to hear yeah. what your story was. You know, I'm lucky. I had a, a strong support base from my parents to my girlfriend to, you know, my girlfriend Dana to everybody, you know, brothers and sisters and friends coming to visit me when I couldn't even step outside the apartment. You know, it was, it was hard. But yeah. when you have that strong support system of people that maybe you haven't seen in a few years that call you up or that come over, right. it certainly helps. Yeah. It, it, I always say this too, and I experienced a similar thing. It's like, you don't know how much people like care about you or yeah. want to go out of their way for you until like something bad happens. Right. You know, and it's sad because it you know people really do care about you, but they don't go out of their way to tell you. Right. Um, unless you're dying or dead, or you yeah, know, it's, it's sad. Um, but like, a good thing that comes out of experiences like we've kind of had is that we get to hear, you know. How much and, and know how much people actually care about you, right? I mean, it was it was really overwhelming at one point. You know, you get all these phone calls and texts, and sometimes you can't get to all of them, but you want to, right? You know, because you want to show that you appreciate the support. But sometimes, you know, I was always told you know, to to rest and take it easy. People understand if if they don't get back to you, you know, or you don't get back to them, right? You know, you have to be a little selfish in a sense where you have to worry about yourself and you your recovery and you you getting better. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. All right, can you take us to the point when the doctor said you're cancer-free? Yeah, I mean, I had been getting uh, bone marrow checks periodically, you know, a three-month check, a six-month check, a one-year check, and thank goodness everything was coming back clear, no signs of the cancer, no signs of uh, of it coming back, you right. know, things were looking really good. And, you know, I had my transfusion of Thanksgiving 
when I was 27 and Thanksgiving of 2013. So in this past Thanksgiving of 2015, I had my two-year bone marrow check in which I was told, again, lucky, uh, no signs of cancer, no signs of disease. I'm all donor cell in my bone marrow, which is my brother. Right. I'm all I'm all him in there, which is, you know, to hear that, it's very funny. Yeah, it um, is funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, um, but uh, when I was told that I had that two-year check of a clean check, the doctors say that at, at two years of clean bone marrow, you're considered cured. Okay. Or awesome. you're considered, you know. So you reached the, the point. So what was the, what, what feelings were going through you when that, when you heard that? It's like a big weight off your shoulders. You don't have to have that constant question: What if it comes back? What if something goes wrong? You know, what right. if something goes astray? To to have that relief and that off your conscience and off your shoulders, it was very gratifying. Right. So, what advice would you give to other people who are diagnosed with cancer? <sighs> Man, it's hard because. You know, there are so many different kinds of cancers out there, and, and some are, are, are treatable, and, and some are, are not as easily treatable, you know. Uh, but my advice is that is, is to no matter what the odds may be, trust your doctors, you know, trust what they want to do for you, trust the advice that they have, trust the game plan that they have. Try not to be so over-anxious. I mean, for me, that was the hardest part. Not being over-anxious? Uh, uh, and I was over-anxious 24-7. Like, like how so? Like when is this gonna work? When is that gonna work? You right. know, uh, you know how am I doing? How am I doing compared to other people? You know, yeah. I always and you can't do that. You have to worry about yourself. Worry about yourself, yeah. Day by day, and just know that you know your doctors, you know, have a plan right. ideally, and that plan is to obviously get you back on your feet. And right. you have to trust the process. You have to, you know, it's not gonna happen overnight. Right. And you have to just think about. The long term, right? Because the short term is going to happen. It's going to come and go. It's it's not about tomorrow. It's about ten years from now. Right. Okay. So you know, for me, that was very difficult. Right. But that's the advice that I certainly give. Right. It's a marathon, not a sprint, or whatever. As exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. I think that what you just said is like a good message for all athletes in sports in general, because you know, you have to. I forget what I was going to say. That's all right. Okay. I'll just skip that one. No. No. Yeah. Hold on. I get where you're going with that because if it's a knee injury or if it's Achilles or right. something that's a major injury, right? Yeah. You're gonna plan. Your game plan is to get better and back to yourself, right? right? Exactly. That that's the, that reminded me of what I wanted to say. Yeah. It was about focusing on yourself and not focusing on other people. Right. right. So, no matter what sport it is, like you have to do. You have a job, right? And you have to do that job. And if you don't do that job, you're gonna mess up your whole team, right? Right. So. And, like, if you get ahead of yourself or you start comparing yourself to other people and stuff like that, it's going to affect your job, right? Right. So I mean, think of guys, for example, like a Victor Cruz, for, you know, for example. You know, this is a guy that had a major knee, a knee situation, and he tried to come back. And some say he maybe rushed it a little bit too much right. because he came back and he got hurt right back again. Right. Now, maybe that was in relation to the kind of injury he had. But, again, you have to be patient and trust the process. Right. Just because this guy came back in X you know, amount of time doesn't mean that – you necessarily right because right. we're all built differently right right we're all structured differently we're not all one and the same just because joe did it doesn't mean kevin can do it right you know so you have to trust your process and you have to you know you want to get yourself back to where you what right. what you were right or you may come back even better exactly you know yeah. but it's uh, like, like you uh, said adrian peterson type deal yeah exactly i mean yeah. again like you said it's a marathon not a sprint right 
cool. Um, all right, let's start talking about, we kind of touched on it before, about how you came up with the idea for Layups for Life. Right. Let's talk about, you know, last year was the first annual. Yeah. All right, yes. so let's talk about, like, what kind of went into it and your logo and, like, what, I don't know, just any, anything about it. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you know, this was an idea. I had this grand scheme. Uh, I, I used to work for a guy that's now the head of, of Times Square events, right, okay. in, in New York City. I used to help with a lot of his uh, events that he had there, and it gave me this grand idea, this awesome connection. I'm going to have a basketball tournament in Times Square, okay, right? That was the gra- yeah, great idea, yeah, right? Yeah, sounds really cool. It costs a lot of money to I, do that. <laughs> I would so, think so, yeah. So I had to take my grand scheme of, of wanting to do this, and I had to scale, scale it down, down a little, little bit. bit yeah. Hey, shoot for the stars, That's right. right. <laughs> so when it, when it costs tens of thousands of dollars to run right. an operation like that, you kind of have to yeah. think a little smaller scale. So I said, you know, how can I smaller scale it? How can I do this maybe with a local feel to it? So I'm a Roxbury alumni, uh, Roxbury High School in Suckasun in New Jersey, right. Morris I, County. Yeah, I grew up going to Westmore Central, and I said this to, to you before, uh, Dan, that my coach would always say the only thing that separated us between Roxbury and Westmore was five miles on a two-lane road. That's so, right. So yeah. we played each other plenty in all yeah. sports. So yeah, we got so many connections. We yeah. do. We do. So <laughs> I said, okay, let me try to see. I'm a proud Roxbury grad. I'm proud of where I went. I'm proud of where, I, where I'm from. Maybe I can try to do it where, you know, it gives some great publicity to the school. You know, I know the school had dealt with some loss with cancer uh, within their house. So I want it to be a positive story of a Roxbury guy that beat it and that's now trying to do something in, in raising money and awareness for a good cause. Right. And very lucky, the athletic director there now, Stu Mason, was not my AD when I was there. I had a lot of friends that were working in the school at the time. and okay. They connected me to Stu. And from the get-go, Stu was on board and supportive with the event awesome and from there you know again having friends in the school system and helping me get this thing going getting the students involved um we kind of went from there with me hitting the ground and getting sponsors and getting people in town involved and it's a you lot know of work it's a lot of work it's a lot yeah. a lot of work for you know it's funny people now say off the success i had it you know last year uh, you should do it twice a year or you should have right. a two-day tournament i said it kind of takes it, away from it though i think if you do it like I said, one Too you, much, yeah. I said, you got to cool your jets, number yeah, one, right? Because to do work, one yeah. is a lot of work. Yeah. I said, God willing, if this thing consistently shows to put out good fundraising right. and good turnout, maybe. But we're only in year two of right, this. Right. So, you know, you, you got to start small. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. And, you know, um, in, we're going to grow it naturally. And, you know, we're at a very good place right now for our second year. Awesome. So. Uh, so, like, how much money did you raise last year? And yes. What was the turnout? So, I wanted maybe $5,000 last year. I thought a 20-team tournament. It's three-on-three basketball. I said, I said, if I can get that, it'd be perfect. I'd be ecstatic, over the moon excited. Right. Ended up raising $10,300. Wow. And I had 40 teams, 4-0, uh, registered to play in our tournament. These are mostly kids, like, from Roxbury or? So, I'm again. You talked about the support system earlier uh, in the interview, and I have a great support system. My friends from college came out. They're they're friends from the Boston. You know, I went to UMass University, okay, yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah. They had friends from the Boston area that came out. People that I used to work with came out. The Roxbury community came out. I mean, people really from throughout the greater tri-state area came out and attended this. Whether they volunteered or they played. Or, you know, they, they donated. We right. have raffles and we have silent auction items. So, you know, it was a great event. And people from really everywhere, from all walks of earth, from like all my different levels of connections 
came came out in the Roxbury community. The kids were there. The varsity basketball team played and got teams, awesome. and they, yeah. they helped volunteer. So it was great. So is there like an age limit? Yeah. So what it is is that it's a, it's a tournament for 15 plus. So 15 you, have to be, plus. Okay. you have to be a freshman in high school to play. And that's because, really, I had guys last year, and I kind of felt this was going to happen, that played from 15 to 40. Right. Right. So, you know, I think an 18 year old or a 17 year old can play against a 22 or a 23 year old. I didn't think so much of like an eight or a nine year old could do that. No, I agree. Yeah. Like when I was thinking about this thing, I'm like, like, who can I reach out to that could help? I'm like, if I reach out to the youth basketball program, like, I feel like their kids might be too young or whatever. But, but I will yeah. tell you, in addition to the teams and the volunteers, people just came and spent the day and watched basketball. It's right. fun basketball. It's so competitive people just basketball. Come and, yeah. 100%. Okay. Because and take part in the raffles and stuff. Because we have food. Yeah. I have a DJ playing music. Oh, that's cool. And like you said, I have a raffle with some great prizes from Brian's Luncheonette. From um, Gusto Forty Six, you know all local places. Sandwiches uh, Unlimited, you know awesome. a lot yeah. of great, like great time. places. Yeah. The a local guy Design Line makes our T-shirts. So really, you know, fantastic local sponsorships, and very fortunate this year to branch it out to some national names like Med Express, which is like a minute clinic. Right. Uh, Xerox is one of my big sponsors, and then Fortrend Funding, a uh, a mortgage, a house mortgage, a mortgaging place, is also one of our big sponsors. And so Damn, dude. it's. it's yeah, I'm very, very lucky You're to have hustler, these people tell, hustling, yeah. man. You know, yeah. it's uh, when you have a father in sales for 30 years and you hear him on the phone, you, you pick up some, a thing yeah, or two. Yeah, learn a few things. So, yeah. That's really cool. Um, I probably should have asked you this before, but like, what's the mission of Layups for Life? The mission is to continue raising vital funds for cancer research and clinical trials at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Okay. 50% of cancers are still considered rare cancers. What does that mean? That means there's no plan of action. There's no way of, of, of successfully trying to beat it or to slow down it, its process. So this, for example, my process, my T-cell depleted transfusion once upon a time was a clinical trial. Okay, now right. it, now it's one of the go-to ways in, in, in beating cancers like mine. Cool. So this is to help, you know, continue Sloan's Kettering's mission of, you know, ridding this world of this disease. With the money we raised last year, I donated it to three different cancer departments at the hospital, to general leukemia research, to pediatric leukemia research, and to my doctor's bone marrow foundation. Okay. So I was able to split it up into those, into those three different that's awesome, avenues. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking to do the same thing. So, yeah, that's what my next question. Like, what are the goals for the second annual, like, in terms of numbers and stuff like that? Listen, right now, we're about halfway to our fundraising goal, which is fantastic. We have about 22 teams that have registered and signed up, which is even more exciting. You know, I would love to have 40 teams again. Okay. I think I can fit 50. Okay. At the same so time, yeah, right. at, at the same time, we did $10,000. I'd love to say I can do 15 to 20. That's my goal because I want to be able to successfully say and proudly say right. that every year those numbers went up. Okay. You know, Roxbury can only hold so much with in terms of the basketball, right, right, but right. the fundraising has the unlimited cap. Okay. So that's where I really want to say that successfully year by year I was able to grow that and raise more money for what I think is an excellent cause. Cool. I mean, I'd love to help you out on yeah. the day of the event and do whatever I can to kind of spread the Hopefully you're off crutches word. by then. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think I will. So we'll put you maybe behind we'll yeah. put you behind the snack bar then maybe or something. Yeah, I'll do something. A nice yeah. stable position. <laughs> yeah, give me a chair. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, also, I thought that maybe I'll try to get my buddy Mike Burton to maybe sign something to, for the silent auction. I'm sure he would That'd do that. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, all right. So 
What sports did you play growing up? I'm assuming you played basketball. You because assume, of the, assumed correctly. Yeah, I mean, I'm so smart, right? <laughs> Even with going, the, the brain injury. Yeah. <laughs> Leading up to high school, I mean, I played everything, you know, and then it got to a point where you have to focus on your grades. My parents had to pick one, uh, so I picked basketball. Uh, I played it year-round by the time I got to high school. I loved the game. Uh, I was playing on AAU teams. I was going away to summer camps, learning from one of the best coaches on Long Island. Um, you know, I loved the game. Uh, basketball was my passion. Uh, you know, I did baseball. I played some soccer. I played some football. But I really fell in love with, with basketball. Yeah, that was your sport. And that was my sport. I wish I grew a couple of more inches because I think I was perfect <laughs> football size. And when my coaches were hearing that I wasn't coming back to play sophomore year, they were a little yeah. upset. But it was just bizarre. Junior year, I come back from high school and everyone had grown. Right. Everybody had grown. Like going into our sophomore year of high school, I was maybe one of the two tallest kids in our grade, and I come back junior year, totally, I'm looking, looking up. Looking up at everyone. I'm looking up. One kid's 6'4", one kid's 6'3", and I said, well, I made my bet. I'm just going to yeah. lay in it. So, Well, Roxbury football, there's always some big dudes on that team. Big guys. Well, right now, Angelo Mangiro, who was at Roxbury High School, was the starting center, left guard, tackle. Right. He played all over the, the offensive combine? line. He's in the combine right now. Yeah, cool. So, yeah. I didn't play against him, but I played against this kid, uh, Brandon Beal. Yeah, he Beal. He broke my collarbone freshman year. No way. Yeah, and, like, our coaches were, like, talking him up this whole week. They're like, oh, there's this huge kid on the team. He's, like, 6'2", 220. So, like, I was already psyching myself out, you know, from, from the beginning. Right, because you're a tailback. You were a tailback, right? I was a fullback, but we ran the wing T, so – I ran the ball more than I did anything else. No doubt. So I remember we pulled up to the high school. It was, it was at Roxbury. Yep. And I see this kid who's obviously the kid that they were talking about because he's like, usually if you're like 220 pounds and you're a freshman in high school, usually like you're fat. Right. Because at that point in time, you're just like not as developed. Sure. But usually like the 165, 175 pounders, like those are like the studs in like freshman football. Yeah. But when I saw this kid, I'm like, oh, Cut my God. Cut out of stone. Yeah. I'm like, this kid is like, he's not 20, 220 pounds of fat. Like, he is rock solid. He was something different. He went on to play at Minnesota, correct? I think well, he, he, went, he went to Florida. Right. And then he transferred to, to Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. But I remember I, ran, I was running the ball up the sideline, and I was like, I stiff on one kid to the ground. I was like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm running. I'm like, this kid's got to be somewhere. So I look over <laughs> my shoulder, and there he is. He literally grabs my shoulder and just like, like hops on my back and I land on my my, my collarbone there you go. yeah and I snap my collarbone half. holy cow so I'll never forget that oh my gosh but, yeah. good for you man full back in a wing tee holy cow yeah. your parents must have been terrified every time they my saw mom you. was yeah holy cow I remember one time that same game it was like third down and one or something you know you're getting it yeah well I knew I was getting the ball and then of course they ran it to his side an inside linebacker I'm like I'm gonna have to try to run this kid over to oh get one yard oh my gosh I did get the one yard there you though. go yeah. that a boy <laughs> but he got the he, I think he won the battle though oh my <laughs> gosh anyway but away from the, the glory days yeah um so let's uh, let's plug your your social media and your website and yeah so we're on Facebook Twitter and Instagram uh uh, Facebook.com slash layups for life. Now, remember, the four is the number four. Okay. So it's layups, L-A-Y-U-P-S, the number four, life. All right. So, I'll, I'll put that all in the show notes, too, so everyone can easily find everything. So, so it's Facebook.com slash layups for life. We're on Twitter and Instagram at layups for life. And we have fun on our on our social media accounts. You know, we were at the Morris County basketball tournaments yeah, this past guys, few yeah. weeks, which was a lot of fun. You know, congratulations uh, to Chatham to win. Winning that, um, you know, my favorite AD ever. You know, uh, Bill Labrera. 
I don't know. Uh, I don't. He's my favorite math teacher ever. Okay. Yeah. I like, I was like terrible at school okay. until I had him. Like I was like a C yeah. student. Like if I got a B, it was like amazing. It takes one. Was going teacher, up on man. the fridge. Yeah. But I so when I was a freshman, I didn't really care too much because I was like, ah, eh, sting at school. But he was my math teacher, uh-huh. and for some reason, like he made me like care Good. about doing well. So I always want to give him props for no doubt for for helping me out. There you go. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, on our Facebook, on our Facebook, Twitter, and our Instagrams, where we make a lot of our announcements. You know, uh, we also, of course, I can't forget, we have a beautiful, beautiful, brand new website that we built in the beginning of our second year. Um, a good friend of mine, Ben Feinberg, B Fine Design, cr- helped create this website, and it's immaculate. Cool. Uh, so it's www.layupsforlife.org. Through that website, you can register, you can donate, you can. It's pretty much one-stop shopping awesome. on yeah, there. That's perfect. You can read about our my story. You can read about our event, what we do, our purpose. There's pictures from last year's event. You get T-shirts if you sign up. We yeah. So that's the thing. People when love you, T-shirts. No doubt. Yeah. When you register, we give you a free T-shirt. We have some other fun things that we're, we're giving away too. I'm wearing a bracelet here. We'll give you. A oh. Bracelet before too. you leave today. Yeah, yeah. We have some other really, really fun things that we're going to be sharing with our participants this year that we're very excited about. Cool. Awesome. All right. I, I Sometimes I end with this question. Sometimes I don't. But today I'm doing it. Go for it. Um, so what's your personal definition of perseverance? Sure. I mean, my personal definition of perseverance is someone that has insurmountable odds stacked upon them, and they look them in the eye, and they beat them. They don't they, – they, 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 they have some fear – but they know that they're confident in their ability and they're confident in themselves to go on and beat whatever those odds are. To me, that's perseverance. You know, awesome. what, what you went through was perseverance. What I went through, you know, we could have both easily folded, man. Right. But we didn't. And to me, our stories are stories of perseverance. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate uh, you sharing your story. And Thanks. I know it's, it's emotional sometimes. Yeah. I was just. You almost got me to cry. No, yeah. You was, almost got yeah. me, man. Hey. You ever, see, you ever seen you, you, Jerry Maguire? You've seen Jerry Maguire? Yeah, I hope. Yeah, okay. of course. Sports you know, management, yeah. You, right. That's yeah. right. That's why we all joined sport management right. was because of Jerry Maguire. So there was a scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. is on the talk show at the end. Yeah. He's like, you're not going to make me cry. Right. You're not going to yeah, make exactly, me cry. Yeah. And he breaks out yeah. in tears. So you almost had me. You almost yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. me. So you well, almost had I had me. a speech last week. Uh, at the library in Long Valley, mm-hmm. and I like I can't tell my story without crying. Sure, I can't. A, do it's it. personal, man. It's it's raw. It's emotion. You I'm know, like, as much as I try to fight it, I can't do it. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But all right, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks again for sharing your story. My pleasure, man. And also, um, everyone who's listening to this. Go to layoutsforlife.org. Yes, please. Register, donate, or do anything you can to help out. Yeah, our and registration ends on April 4th. Okay. Okay, and our event is on April 10th. So, you know, sign up, get your team together, tell your friends, tell families, tell co- colleagues. It's a great it's a great event, like a great team-building event to go with your coworkers. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of fun, man, cool. you know? So. All right, awesome. Thanks, thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. They're playing bad. Basketball, we love that basketball. After you go over to layupsforlife.org to donate or register to Dan's event, please go over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a five-star review. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads is in your head, the letter N, and then Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Same thing goes for Twitter. It's add a little P-O-D on the end. And you can find us on Facebook. Dan's story is a perfect example of how you can't control what happens to you in life, but you can always control how you respond. So get out there, shoot some hoops for a cause, and I'll see you guys next week.